Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, everyone. This is Stavon Shah from Antwerp, Belgium, known for diamonds, chocolate, and Andy Murray's Hip Hip Hurrah. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and Happy New Year. And Happy New Year in particular to Stuven there in Antwerp, Belgium, that you heard in our intro. A week today, we, the Tennis Podcast, will be landing in Melbourne Airport ahead of three weeks of podcasts. Before that, we'll be releasing our first of eight editions of Tennis Relived in 2023. The first, and this is the big reveal, folks, of our first Tennis Relived edition of 2023. The first will be going back to 1996 to remember the Grand Slam title of Monica Selesh, the only one that she won after the horrific stabbing that she experienced in 1993. So we'll be telling that story in our first edition of Tennis Relived of the year and that will be available exclusively to friends of the tennis podcast for more on our tennis relive plans this year make sure you signed up to our email newsletter it is free folks it is a no-brainer to be signed up to the newsletter the first one of the year is going out this week and the link to sign up is in our show notes to listen to the Monica Seller show and all of our other tennis relived shows our Q&A pods our Grand Slam reviews Become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. You can grab yourself an intro, a shout out. There's all sorts of things still available. Subscriptions start at £5 per month or £50 per year if you want to save 20%. And you'll also have, as I say, the option to get a shout out, introduce a podcast just like Stubborn today. And until January 14th, you can get really involved. We have just a couple of pet mascot slots left for the year. More than 50 have gone already. That's uh, a whole lot of dogs and maybe a few donkeys uh, for me to enjoy throughout the year. Uh, You can take us on in our annual predictions competition and all the entrants also get an invite to our Christmas quiz on Zoom, which we held just a few days ago. And though I say so myself, was excellent uh you can guest edit one of our tennis relived or q a podcasts you can take us on in our daily newsletter predictions at the grand slams or you can become an executive producer getting access to all of the above and being mentioned in the credits to every edition of the tennis podcast and uh you get a say in how you're referenced you can be a top bloke or you can be something different up to you within reason to the link to do any of that is in the show notes to this 
podcast. So you know where to go uh, if you're interested in becoming a friend of the pod. So with the formalities out of the way, we can now talk tennis for the first time in 2023. We're all pretty pumped about this, aren't we? We've had, what, five days of the United Cup so far. We've had the other events getting underway as well. Tennis has been happening in Adelaide. We've already had a check-me-out comeback win from Bianca Andreescu. It really feels like tennis is already back in, in full swing and we're very, 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 very pumped about it, David. Just a bit. Yeah, I I started my tennis watching year at uh, 5.18 a.m. on uh, the 29th of December. And uh, and I watched the uh, the household names of Despina Papamakale against Isabella Shinikova. And I loved every single minute of this match. I tell you, I, I, I felt like I'd been held captive in some far off land and unable to have any access to tennis and then suddenly I'd been released and given this opportunity and I was just loving it and I know that sounds ridiculous it is only a month since we were talking about Billie Jean King Cup and Davis Cup finals and if I'd have wanted I could have watched any number of these exhibitions in December I chose not to watch any of them to be quite honest with you Um, but I watched this match and you got players who were 29 and 31 years of age who I'd never heard of before they were 147 and 133 in the world and yet they played this cracking match and I think that I think the United Cup is is really going to be great in uh, I'm already enjoying it there's a there's a there's things I would like to change about it but you can't change them immediately or you can't set the thing up exactly as you want as a tournament yet but my word, it's just so nice to turn on the TV here in the UK in the morning and you're halfway through a tennis day and you're catching up on everything that's gone overnight and there's loads more still to come and there's live tennis on right now. There's about four matches going on simultaneously. I love this sport. There is something about it, the season starting in Australia, isn't it? And obviously we're coming at this as Brits who are 10,000 miles away and Australia is tremendously exotic and everything's upside down. It's summer there when it's winter here, all of that. Maybe Australians feel slightly different about this. But if the tennis season just stopped, you know, indoors in, in European winter and resumed again a month later indoors in European winter... That wouldn't be nearly nearly so fun. Now, I still believe wherever it stops and, and starts again, the off-season should be shorter. You know, imagine that feeling that you're, you've been feeling, David, and we've all been feeling amplified by two or three, you know, with, with, with time to miss tennis and really hanker for it to, to return. We get a bit of that, but, you know, month month isn't a long time. But the fact that it starts afresh in Australia, where it's by some miracle already peak summer, um, is it helps, doesn't it? It helps the feeling of newness, which tennis really needs because a, a month is not long to squeeze in a Maldives holiday and a uh, and a training block and a flight down under. Mm, yeah, I think you're right. And while we were watching all the indoor tennis last season, Catherine, you said something that I hadn't really ever thought about but did resonate that I think one of the reasons I like tennis so much is that it chases the sun it's a summer sport and 
there is something about that end of season where all the events are indoors and it's all a little bit sort of gloomy and it's really cold here in the in the UK as well that it's not my favorite time of the tennis year but when it starts with a bang in Australia it is just the best and I think actually I'm really hopeful that this is an Australian summer swing that isn't fraught we've had some very fraught ones in the last few years and and I know Simon Briggs always talks about the fact that he's always worried about the big story that's going to drop before the Australian Open that's going to get everyone scrambling and we've had deportation sagas and terrible bushfires and Covid disruption and Andy Murray's sort of retirement non-retirement there's been it's been a lot going on before the Australian Open but I'm hoping this year this is the one where it's just tennis 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 the first time we we bump into Simon Briggs upon arrival in Australia before the Australian Open. He has he always has the look of a man that's received really bad news from a fortune teller about him. <laughs> you know, you've been to see a tarot reader and the death cards come up at the end. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is great, but something bad is definitely going to happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, isn't it, isn't that interesting though that you Matt you you hanker after this non stressful dramatic start to the event and you want the tennis we to speak love for the itself. drama see i i i do we, love the on. stories it's we been love the bad drama, drama we, we don't we don't love being court correspondents I, I and i didn't particularly like being in no offense to salford studios but being there because i'd had to you know not be in australia because of um of COVID. No um, more Strictly now, Come Dancing Room for David. No, no. And I'm talking about the wider virus implications, not my own personal experience of it that kept me from going to Australia last year, which was, you know, I really don't want that drama ever again. Um, but it is it is an incredible event for stories. And I mean, and, and good and bad. And we, we, we always seem to get the out of the ordinary stuff in Australia. Thinking back to... To the Federer, Nadal, Serena and Venus finals year in 2017, which had somebody said that that would happen to us on the eve of the tournament would have seemed absurd. Last year's final results, OK, I think we could have made a decent case for Ash Barty winning the thing. But Rafael Nadal winning the thing would have would have seemed outrageous, quite honestly. Um, and there's a, there's been so much of that over the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, and in terms of, uh, I'm not going to ask for any kind of projections or predictions about about what might happen at, at this Australian Open yet. I will be doing that on future podcasts. But because the format of the United Cup, we have gotten to see quite a lot of quite a few of the top players, don't we? Considering it's, you know, the Tuesday of the first week of the season, ordinarily recording this pod on this day, we might not have seen any of the top players yet if they were playing a regular event because they'd probably have buys in the first round. PS, motion to do away with buys for top seeds in the first round. Um, But we've gathered quite a lot of data, haven't we, on a lot of the players that are likely to be contenders at the Australian Open. We've seen them play a fair bit. I was watching Igor Shrontek and Belinda Bencic this morning. I was watching Rafael Nadal and, and Alex de Menor. I was watching Taylor Fritz and Alexander Zverev. Not not live because it was in the middle of the night, but I watched um, highlights of that when, when I woke up this morning. Um, we've seen a lot already. It is, it's frenzied with the amount of tennis, isn't it? 
United Cup, which is brilliant on one hand. I love that feeling of, you know, okay, this match is a dud. Fine, I'll see what's happening in Perth then. There's, you know, it's like a, it's like a tapas restaurant, isn't it? Where you can, you don't, you don't have to make a big call on what you're going to eat because you can have a little bit of everything. Um, but it has made me zone out a little bit of sort of the format and what's actually happening in terms of the competition. I've been at this stage, I've been enjoying it mostly in terms of just matches and I've sort of made the call of I'll zero in on what's actually happening in the competition from the semi-finals onwards, which we're which we're nearing, aren't we? Um I imagine I imagine you to have probably done a better job than me of of really following the format and um and what's going on but i've just been sort of bathing bathing and luxuriating in in the matches i suppose yeah well i th- I, th- I think that is true i th- i mean i actually had a look at the the format properly yesterday out of curiosity because i'd i'd heard that britain for instance were already through because they they'd won both of their group ties and i think that that is one of the the, the downsides to a, a three-team group is that Spain hadn't even played their second match yet, and and, and Australia, and yet they already knew that they couldn't go through, um, so Britain were through. But actually, there's a there's another round before them. There's a quarterfinals stage um, after this this set of group matches. I think it's three sets of winners go through one from each location, and then the the sort of fourth best uh, of the of the losers goes through into into the semis but you know i i i i feel the same i, I mean i mean i'm really the main thing i'm enjoying is is the the men and women being on the same teams together that's the most different thing that we've we've I mean, we had the hotman cup but this is like rolling the hotman cup and the atp cup into one and this is this is good news visually i'm enjoying the the interaction i'm enjoying loads and loads of tennis but basically i agree with you catherine it's about watching these players get on the court some of whom look absolutely in the zone because they've not stopped playing all december um you mentioned taylor fritz cam norrie alex diminor Igor sviantet they've all been playing non-stop and they look ready for the australian open right now and then there are other players who look really really rusty because they just haven't been doing that Okay, well, well, given that you've got into all of that, should we should we talk about individuals first before we get into the nitty gritty of where the competition is at standings wise? What's who's going to be nations wise? Who's progressing to to the semis and potentially beyond? Who who has stood out in terms of individuals? You mentioned Taylor Fritz there, David. I watched uh, highlights of his beating Alexander Zverev overnight. Now, okay, Zverev is coming back from injury, and it it does look like it's going to be a very, very long road at the moment. He looks a shadow of his former self, but my goodness me, Taylor Fritz, it it is every bit what you just described, a player that looks like he wants to go out and start the Australian Open tomorrow and thinks he can win it. He might be wrong, but there is a change in Taylor Fritz, confidence-wise, the way he strides about the court, taking the ball early, just he looks like he's ready to just dismiss players now almost sort of arrogantly you know well I've got this off you go um which is a such a shift such a big shift for him I think yeah I I think that that's that's the key shift really because I don't think that much 
certainly to the eye, has changed about his game. He's always had a really fluid, beautiful-looking backhand that looks solid as a rock. He's always had an explosive forehand. He's always hit a big ball, as I think Pete Sampras said about him when he first practised him with, with him when he was about 17 or 18. Um, and he's always looked really wiry and as though he could do it, you know, having a few extra meals and getting in the gym. But the the difference in his approach, he know he know he doesn't look like he's coasting at all now. Whereas I used to I used to put him in the bracket of some other players who seemed more or less happy at twenty in the world and you know thinking that they're doing more really than they are. I don't sense that. I I sense a restlessness about him, a, a determination to to achieve and to to achieve now and as though time's running out. And I love that. I love that about him. I saw he uh, tweeted what his 2022 New Year's resolutions and goals were as a tennis player, and he ticked them all off. He wanted to be top 10, he wanted to qualify for the ATP finals, and then he he did a sort of slightly vague thing about do something big at a Masters or a Slam, and of course he ticked well, that off with Indian Law. Wells. Yes, it was. So we enjoyed <laughs> We've those. Been in touch. <laughs> but I just sort of wondered what his ones for 2023 would be. I'm, I'm sure he'll be keeping those it to has himself. To be winning a Slam. Uh, my mind goes back to um, the, his quotes after losing first round of the U.S. Open, Matt. Um, where he comes in and goes, I thought I could win this thing, and I feel a fool. Mm. Yeah, that was that was a pretty shocking loss, wasn't it? Who was that to? That was to Brandon Holt, Tracy Austin's son. Oh, of um, course. Out on the, yeah. I think it was on the grandstand court. Mm. There was a lot of tennis happening that night. I think it might have been Serena's opening match. I think Sitsipas was having a disaster against Daniel Galan. There was a lot going on. It it sort of went a little bit under the radar, but actually it was... Did that all happen <laughs> in one night? <laughs> I think so. Uh, it's all a bit of a blur, but it was a really bad loss for him. Um, but he obviously finished the season really strongly and... Um, I did. I also saw a tweet a couple of weeks ago from John Millman saying that he'd, he'd had a hit with the with the balls that they're using in in Australia this year, which I think might be slightly different to previous years. Anyway, he said, "I think it's going to help a player like Taylor Fritz. They're really quick, fast through the air." And I thought, "Hmm, you know." I sort of made a note of that at the time, and now seeing Fritz's performances and results so far, it'll be interesting. But I think his first real test. You know, you mentioned there he beat Lehechka, good player, but you would expect Fritz to win that. He beat a sort of a not ready yet Alexander Zverev. Well, he's going to, I think, have to play Cameron Norrie when uh, Britain play the US in the in the Sydney City final, if I've got that that correct for the United Cup format. And um, Norrie's looked really good as well. So really interested to see how those two will, will fare against each other. That's very understated, Matt. Norrie's looked looked pretty good I think Norrie's looked sort of breathtaking I'm not sure if anyone's ever described Cameron Norrie as breathtaking before but I'm gonna do it just because he's not that kind of player is he he elicits typically elicits you know faint praise doesn't he damnation by faint praise oh he's he's a real maximizer oh he's you know he's really exceeding expectations Um, (laughs) He never lets you down, does Cam Norrie. He's a real workhorse, these sorts of unsexy things. Well, up. he was blooming breathtaking against Rafael Nadal, wasn't he, David? Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, I didn't see the first set because that was about two in the morning, I think. But obviously, with my 5 a.m. wake up, I got to see the last couple of sets. And um, yeah, he 
I mean, I think there are there are definitely two stories there, and we'll come on to talk about Rafael Nadal. But my sense was watching it was that it was a takeover. It was Cameron Norrie. Start, I mean, he'd lost. I think he'd lost ten, ten or eleven sets in a row against Nadal. He'd never won a set against him in all of their previous meetings. This was a massive deal to him personally, to to prove to himself that he could do this. And I think he's had a couple of them now, where he's he's dug in and played one of the top players and and shown what he's got. And this this one was him beating the great Rafael Nadal. Okay, not Nadal at his best. But still Nadal, and certainly not the worst Nadal I've ever seen. And he beat him at his own game. He stood up to him, he took him on at left-handed forehands and grinding. And you've got Tim Hemman on the bench telling him to be relentless and make Rafael Nadal work. You know, and, and when have you ever heard that before? And, and, and yet he was doing it and he was beating him at his own game. And I think there's, there's a couple of things there. I think he's improved significantly I think he started last year really slowly if you remember Um, and then he built into the year but he had a really poor start in Australia and look I've been making the case and it's probably because I've got a chip on my shoulder about all these exhibitions in places like Saudi Arabia I've been making the case that well you know maybe they're talking about needing an off-season maybe not having an off-season will hurt these players when they start the actual tennis year well maybe Cameron Norrie and there's one or two others, are the type of players and proof that it can go the other way. That They can come out firing because they're ready. And him and Fritz, if they can stay away from Djokovic, you could be looking at a finalist of the Australian Open there from one one of those two. Or there's one or two others in that kind of form and mix of sort of being... Just, just looking at the peak of their powers, as though the, as though they've the, everything's led up to this moment. And Fritz is another one. He's played all the way through December. You know, I don't like to say that because I don't particularly want these exhibitions to be happening. But and maybe they're going to run out of gas. You know, maybe the Nadals and all the rest of them will peak at the Australian Open, and this isn't sustainable. But there's, it's it's a very interesting talking point. I think what we might end up seeing happening more and more is players using February as their off season. If they if there are big lucrative exhibitions in December to be played, they will probably take that money, play them, get through Australia and still have enough in the tank to go fire in Australia and then use that sort of February time where there aren't really any big events and then sort of come out fresh again for Indian Wells and Miami. I could see that being a Didn't bit of a Federer pattern. used to do that. He certainly um, had some years doing that, didn't he? Mm. Um, yeah, I, could, I think Rude has said that he's going to do that. Yeah, because Rude, Rude's been trucking around South America for weeks on end. Yeah, well. Just to say, I think I think David started the year there by saying Cameron Norrie's going to reach the Australian Open the, final. I noticed that too, Matt. Big from David. I, I, I don't see anybody playing much better tennis than him right he'll, now. He'll blooming well take some beating. Outside of... I mean, if he plays Novak Djokovic yeah, and Djokovic is in form, big. I see Djokovic winning. Simple as, because he's a better player. Um, but right now, I, I think that the draw is big, as you say. But I, I could imagine a Fritz Norrie semi-final, for instance. I could imagine that. Mm. Mm. What about Rafael Nadal? We have watched him lose this morning 7-5 in the third to Alex de Menor. Um 
to me, he does. He looks fine. Um, there's no sort of massive red flags or, or warning signs. He's just not quite there, um, which is in itself fine. We know Rafael Nadal does take matches. He needs matches. He wants matches. He he always has done um, to to get sharp. I, I did see some analysis uh, on the coverage this morning um, from Jim Curry and Tim Hemmen in, in commentary of that match of his against Alex de Menor about the lasting impact of the abdominal injury. They don't think he's still or perhaps will ever be quite right in the abdominal region. They think it's having an impact on the serve. He's he's just not able to hit certain serves because he's not able to talk, talk his back in the way that you need to, to be able to hit a, a kick serve. And there were a couple of other impacts as, as well. Um, and look, on one hand, you think, well, this is Rafael Nadal. You know, he he reached the Indian Wells final with a cracked rib and, you know, played played through a, a however meant nine millimeter abdominal tear to reach the Wimbledon semifinals. And, you know, he'll find a way. But on the other hand, it's such fine margins and the rest are getting better you know see Alex de Menor he is you know I I still think probably a year ago he probably still would have lost that match and he he found a way to come through together very much assisted today very much assisted by an extremely uh hyped up Leighton Hewitt in his corner they've they're they're good vibes together aren't they Leighton Hewitt and Alex de Menor you've seen that up close a lot Matt at the uh the Davis Cup haven't you but any other takes on on where Nadal is at? I've just um, stolen Jim Curry and, and Tim Hemmons there. I was going to do that as well. So you just got there first. Um, I would say that maybe is it an odd decision for Nadal to play this event, given what you said there about the fact that he needs to sort of work his way in. He needs matches, I suppose. This guarantees guaranteed him matches, but it's yeah. but it's matches against two. top players. You know, he is he's a top mm. ranked player. He's going straight in against Cameron Norrie and Alex Dumanor and Spain are out, so they're not getting any more. Last year, what worked so well for him was actually working his way in and playing Melbourne one or Melbourne two, whatever it was, before the Australian Open. He didn't play anyone of Norrie's level or Dumanor's level, and and it helped him. So I'm just wondering what the difference is between Nadal last year and Nadal this year. It seems to me that he came in in a quite a similar place. A lot of doubts, some injury concerns. And, you know, last year it worked for him. I, I just wonder why he hasn't opted to play a, a tour level event. But same time, maybe he felt like he did have some matches not that long ago in, in Turin and it was against top players and he was short. So maybe he thought he needs more of those. And, and has he been a bit unlucky with the draw? You know, yeah, he's had are, six sets against. Um, yeah, there yeah, are other. Norian. You know that he could, with all due respect, he could have had Tiago Montero or. Um, or Federico Coria or or Borna Goyo or sorry David. Yeah, nothing wrong with Borna Goyo. <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with any of these players, but they're not Alex de Minorin no, and Cameron you're right, Norrie. You're right, and 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 he has got six sets under his belt against top players and. Certainly for a portion of the match today against Dumanor, he looked excellent. He won he won five games in a row from the from a breakdown in the first set to being a break up in the second set and he was 
fantastic. Jim Courier was swooning over his backhand in particular. Um, his forehand was doing damage. And you, and you notice that there is still so much great tennis in him. But as has been a bit of a theme now, sustaining it is an issue. And sustaining it over three sets, let alone five sets, which he's got ahead of him at, at the Australian Open. So I definitely think there are some concerns there if we're thinking about him in terms of trying to defend that title. It seems like he's quite far from that at the moment, but he's probably got the Australian Open, he's thinking, to work his way in in those first few rounds. If the draws come to him there, that maybe that will be his period of of building up and, and improving and certainly not going to write him off. That, that would be my biggest takeaway is the first six sets he plays at the Australian Open are not going to be in, against Alex Dimonor and Cameron Norrie. So he gets chance to put this level up against somebody probably quite inferior to those two, give them a crunching, gain some confidence on a sort of a court where you get the, the wider, the bigger surrounds, the bigger stadium, all the rest of it. He's the master at peaking at these Grand Slams like all those very top players are. But I do think the fading is the biggest concern I would have because it stretches back quite a while now. You know, he hasn't looked like he can last the course in these matches at the same level for since Wimbledon. You know, the, and, and it happened at the Grand Slam as well. Now, admittedly, that was very recently after the, the, the injury that had been keeping him out. But... I don't know, there's something that doesn't feel quite right about him at the moment. And I still think he's perfectly capable of brushing off those cobwebs and performing at the Australian Open. Um, And I would back him to do that overall. But there's a bit of a niggle in my stomach that he this keeps on happening. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. 
That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. On to the women's then, the standouts. I mean, we <laughs> we should probably talk about Iga Shriontek, shouldn't we, in terms of, you know, picking up right where you left off at the end of the 2022 season. Literally moments ago, she just finished off Belinda Bencic 6-3, 7-6. A very competitive match. Um, was just keeping an eye on the tie break there and Belinda Bencic was in it right up until there was a, there was a second serve return which was right there to be hit and she just ballooned it long in in what is the most unforced of of unforced errors and I just felt like um is this going to be a new Belinda Bencic for 2023 picking up from from the Billie Jean King Cup triumph I guess you know the Iga Svantec is is the highest bar in tennis at the moment so perhaps a bit harsh to to judge her against that I mean the the tennis looked good but Svantec looks like the person to beat once again hard to imagine that she's she's not in anybody's eyes she is the favorite for the australian open right now and nothing that will happen barring injury is going to change that um between now and the start of the tournament and i love the um agnieszka radvanska definitely knows that doesn't she david because she's taking the approach of Iga take is playing great there is there is nothing I need or or should say to to input into this. She just sits about four feet away, not making eye contact on the Polish bench. Yeah, she can live off being somebody that was enormously popular in Poland and on the tour generally, and I'm uh, who I think Szczęsny really looked up to and all the rest of it, uh, but. She doesn't need any help right now. She just looks as though she can just motor on through and um, just just looks like she has that same determination that she had around March of last year that, that I'm going to back this up now. I'm going to back up my reputation and you lot are all going to have to pay. And Sviontek channeled a bit of Radvanska in the mixed doubles that I saw her play. It wasn't a live mixed doubles. I think that is... One of the disappointments, I would say, about the United Cup so far, I think there's only been one live mixed doubles match. That was Bulgaria versus Belgium. Hopefully we'll get more in in the latter stages. But for me, that's a format change that needs to happen. We need a live mixed doubles in all of these ties. But in the one that Sviontek played, she hit an incredible uh, backhand round the net post. And I think... I think Radvanska used to win like shot of the year every single year on the WTA tour. And um, in Hubert Hercatch's words, not not something I thought I would be saying. Shiontek um, might have wrapped it up uh, for 2023 on on day one. It was absolutely staggering, just a, a backhand at full stretch after an excellent rally around the net post for a winner. And she just looks so hungry and in form, and just just playing at a different level to everyone else right now. Uh, we've got Donna Vekic, a setup on Elise Corne. David's uh, David's got Donna Vekic doing big things this year, haven't you, David? Yeah, she's she was uh, my shooting stars answer in our Q and A show for Friends of the Tennis podcast last week. And um, I mean, it seems a bit strange to be talking about a twenty five, twenty six year old as a shooting star. And I also mentioned Jill Teichman in that conversation as somebody I think is going to make the jump. I think the, the question was make the jump from the thirties and fifties into the top twenties and beyond. I think Vekic is down in the seventies right now. But look, I am slightly biased because she is being coached or helped by Pam Shriver 
um, who we've got to know so well, and I've, we've heard a little bit about that combination. They had some success late last year, and I'd love to see Vekic really fulfil her potential. And, uh, and what is that potential? Well, she's been 19 in the world before, and I think she's capable of doing better than that. She's just such a naturally lovely ball striker, really natural tennis player, finds the sport quite easy, I think, and yet has not really figured out every element of it in order to succeed. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, there are some players that are just going to burst out of the pack here, and I think she might well, well be one of them. Uh, Petra Kvitova has looked very good, hasn't she? She's won both of her singles matches so far. I'm not going to ask anybody to project what that means for her Australian <laughs> Open because, I mean, it almost certainly means she'll lose first round, doesn't it? And we'll all get stung in the predictions. But look, she looks really good and she plays well down under and she plays well when no one's thinking about her. So just just keep one eye on uh, on Petra Kvitova, I would say. Paula Bedossa, I'm very interested in Paula Bedossa's 2023 she's such a good tennis player this is now coming up to the one year anniversary of me watching Paula Bedossa win Sydney and deciding she was going to she was going to be the Igor Svantec of 2022 I just decided she was going to win everything uh, and in fact the opposite happened and um, I, I know she she speaks very frankly um, in the Netflix series that's coming out in a couple of weeks about the struggles um, that she suffered in, in 2022. She's spoken very frankly in the past about her, her mental health challenges. I so want her to to have a good year. Um, and this this does feel important. The, the I mean, well, actually, having said that, she had a great start to the year last year and it, it all went pear-shaped, isn't it? So maybe it's maybe it's not important, but it feels important, Matt. Yeah, I think so. And it was it was on the exact same court, of course, where she won the title in Sydney, where she's been playing in in uh, the United Cup this week. And she had a rematch against Harriet Dart because, of course, they played in the Billie Jean King Cup finals just just a couple of months ago. And and Dart won that match. And this time, Barossa managed to get revenge. And it was quite funny in this in this era of you know, everything being analysed and there being sort of data available for everything. And as you were describing earlier, these this incredible graphics that that you get now about sort of ball toss clusters and whatever. It's all very it's all very sort of high tech. The sort of simple graphic that came up in this match was how fast Barossa was hitting her forehand pre consuming pickle juice and post consuming pickle juice because she was cramping in the second set against um Harriet Dart and really, really struggling. And suddenly she took this sort of swig of the pickle juice and just came out firing in the next game and added about ten kilometers per hour to her forehand um and managed to win that second set and then roll through the third and and look sort of really confident. I know that you love your pickle juice, Catherine, and, and you don't need this sort of... I, I drink it for non-medicinal purposes. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the health benefits are, are secondary. Mm. She never cramps, as a result. Just, just it like... <laughs> <laughs> but this was just, you know, for any, for any doubters out there, this was, um, this was all the evidence they needed. But um, I, think, I think you're right. I think any kind of confidence that Barca can get is going to help her at the moment because the game... The game hasn't disappeared. It's it's just been 
it's just been a real struggle for her mentally, emotionally on, on court, I think. And, and beating Dart, who just beat her a couple of months ago, turning the match around in that fashion, felt like it could be some kind of um, launch pad. But as you said, we'll see because we have been here before. It must feel good to have to to you know turn around in between points and see Rafael Nadal cheering you on. I mean that has that has been oh, cool. it's one of the best things, hasn't it? Yeah, actually, and and that is a, just a feature. It's not only the United Cup we've seen that happening, but it's the first time we've seen, to my recollection, an actual event, a tour event with men and women where they're in the corner. You can hear every word. I mean, I agree. Uh, you, and you've seen that in, in the in the British bench, Katie Swan and Harriet Dart have talked about sending text messages. Just to, I can't believe I'm getting a text message from Tim Hemman with the schedule for tomorrow and stuff like that, you know. And then all of his chat, and you can hear every word. They've really amped up mm. the miking around those benches, and it's it's just great. I love it. I love I love the idea that Tim's the one doing the admin. That's, that's <laughs> he, all the Tim he, and I he's know. so into the United Cup though that he's even he's even willing to do oh, that United Cup United Cup Tim Henman I mean look I, I work with Tim a lot I, I like him I get on with him really well but introduce me to United Cup Tim Henman please I've never met this one before <laughs> I've known I've known him a bit for 25 years and I've never run into this this Tim Henman before he's a hype man <laughs> it's great isn't it he just he he genuinely seems to be loving it. And I know he's he's captained ATP Cup before and he seemed to love that as well. But this does seem to be next level. Mm. I think so. And he seems to be um he seems to have a real understanding of his of his players because you know, with Katie Swan, he's encouraging her literally after every single point. It's as though that's what she needs, that's what she's asked for. With Dan Evans, he's a little bit less. You, you still hear him quite a lot, but it's not quite as much. He seems to be sort of really getting it right with his players, and they've really responded. I think every, I think Dart, Swan, Norrie, and Evans have all won singles matches, haven't they, in this in this tournament so far? So he's got his whole team playing really, really well. I must say, I think I would find it quite annoying having someone saying, "Let's go, come on!" After literally every but, but single then he point, probably wouldn't, he probably but then he wouldn't, wouldn't do it do exactly. Match. I yeah. know. That's interesting, isn't it? And because a, a number of people have said to me, "Oh, it's too much," he, and then others, loads of others have said, "Oh, I wish I had somebody like this in my life," mm. you know, <laughs> encouraging me. But but I mean, you, you, these players have all beaten higher ranked players than themselves in mm. order to, or, or in the case of Dart, she narrowly lost out to to Bedosa, who's way higher ranked and done miles more in the game, and she nearly beat her. And and but the internal dialogue of players, you're getting to some access to that because of the mics and because of the conversation with a captain like Henman. That there are players that are sitting down. I think Dart sat down at five two and, and won the set in her first match of the tournament. And then she, at the end of the first set, she said, "Yeah, but she's going to come back. I, I know she is. Like she's going to come back and be better." And Henman was saying, "Yeah, well, okay, that doesn't matter." You know, and he's just he, you. You see the doubt, and I'm sure Harriet Dart, if she was coaching, would say exactly the same. But get them in the the moment itself, and I'm sure Henman used to. I'd love to know what was Henman's internal dialogue like mm. back in the day when he didn't get chance to vocalize it and he didn't get chance to have a chat with anybody, and you couldn't hear it. Oh dear, oh dear! It's just so interesting. 
He'd be a good coach, wouldn't he? I know he doesn't want to, to travel week in week. You know, this suits him down to the ground, being able to, to dip in a couple of weeks in Australia, be United Cup Tim Henman and then go back to, to playing golf and walking his Labradors and being a dad um, and being landlord of a pub. But um, he, he would be good at it. There was an amazing takedown of uh, Albert Ramos Vinyalas's game at one point between uh, between Hemman and Evans. Hemman was just like, "Yeah, his forehand's decent, can't hurt you on the backhand," and Evans was like, "Yeah, yeah." And they were just just that insight into what they're thinking about their opponent is just you never get that regularly on the tour, and it's brilliant that, as you said, David, they really have improved the um, the audio on all the mics. You're picking up absolutely everything. Uh, personally, I'm I'm enjoying that the yes, it's Team Spain, but literally all the interactions they're having are in Catalan because they all speak Catalan together. Nadal and Barossa, Ramos Vinyalas and Mark Lopez, just just little things like that. I find I find really enjoyable about this event. Would you put the mixed doubles as the middle rubber, the two of you of the five? I would, yeah. I I, I do think the the biggest flaw with the format at the moment is the the lack of elevation of of the mixed doubles i think that should be front and center and 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 elevated by any means required now i i understand why it's not i th- i think to encourage the top players to play which we all want they have engineered it to guarantee as many singles matches for those players as possible which is which is a big lure it's a big advantage of the united cup for them over playing a tournament where they get a stupid unnecessary buy in the first round and then could lose in the second round and then you're screwed with only one match ahead of the Australian Open uh, I get it I just from a from a viewing and tournament integrity point of view I would like to see it rejigged a bit yeah I completely agree I think it's slightly caught in between in in its current guys you know it, it's it's taken the Hotman Cup and enhanced it for sure you know but what was great about that was the format you had two singles and mixed doubles you know a third of the matches at the Hotman Cup were mixed doubles and there was a real bond between the two players and it 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 felt amazing but the problem was it was an exhibition it didn't matter and as good as the final years were at the Hotman Cup with Federer and Bencic and Federer and Serena there were some there were some pretty ropey years in there too. And I think often Australia had two teams in the Hotman Cup and it was all a little bit weird sometimes. So I love the fact that they've enhanced it. But just exactly as Catherine says, you add in ranking points and you schedule it in this part of the calendar before the Australian Open. The players want matches and they want singles matches. And that's that's what the emphasis is on. Um, and I just think it's a shame because the mixed doubles is the USP of a of a mixed team event like this. And I do think that they should just make it a stipulation that a mixed doubles has to be has to be live in these ties. And yeah, the, it seems like the way to do that would be to make it the third match, I suppose. I also think the ties being over two days is I'm finding that a bit confusing. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean. It, it slightly waters it down, doesn't it? As a, as a a narrative, I think, and I think maybe for the for the fans as well might be finding that they they'll discover this as time goes on. That's that's the feeling I get about mm. it as well. Maybe I don't know whether it should be five uh, matches within a tie or, or not at this stage. But what what I do love is 
the the vibe, the buzz that has been going on at most of the matches. I've been surprised. I've, I've been pleasantly surprised at how many people have turned out to watch. Yeah, crowds have been great. Um, now, look, we know Australia just loves its sport, doesn't it? People do turn out for stuff. Um, and, you know, I, I understand a lot of tickets have been given away. Fine. Do whatever you need to do. It's it's the first year of this thing. They haven't had long to put it together and advertise it and market it and make people aware that it's happening and how cool it is. Do whatever you need to do to make it look and feel as cool as possible in year one. So in year two and going forward, people think, oh, I'm going to buy a ticket to that. That looked fun, didn't it? Um, so I'm absolutely fine with those tickets given away being given away. I I, I you know, I'm sure the accountant is is less fine with it, but this is about shop window year one, and then build it and hopefully you know build it and they will come. In terms of the state of play um, of the the teams and the competition in Sydney, uh, Great Britain are to play the USA in the city final. Um, which, let's face it, is a, a face-off between Taylor Fritz and Cameron Norrie to see who's going to reach the Australian <laughs> Open final. That's uh, David's <laughs> already previewed that for us. Um, as as we've said, Great Britain beat Australia and, and, and Spain very impressively. The USA had beaten Czech Republic uh, and today beat Germany with um, Taylor Fritz's brilliant performance um, to beat Alexander Zverev overnight and I think Madison Keys. Anderson Key's got a win as well. Yeah, she beat Yula uh, Niemeyer. Ah, yes. Who Hannah of this parish thinks is going to be a Wimbledon champion one day. Uh, over it's too in Perth, much tennis, isn't it? I can't follow. I want I'm trying to help you out, David. Listen, I don't know anything about in Perth, it. The winner of France against Croatia, which is currently being battled out between uh, Vekic and Corne. Vekic is. Uh, setting a break up on Lise Corne, who's just thrown her racket. So, mm. and looks like a possible Vekic victory there. <laughs> and good to see that Corne still has both legs taped. Some things, both legs some things taped. don't that, change in 2023. That Maldives holiday has done nothing for her thighs. <laughs> uh, so the winner of France v Croatia will qualify for the city final in Perth. Greece need uh, a win or a 2-3 loss against Belgium to qualify. Uh, it's currently one all, so Greece only need to win one out of three matches that they will play tomorrow against Belgium. If Belgium win all three of those matches tomorrow, then they will qualify to play what looks like Croatia in the final, but never count out Elise Corne in the city final, that is. And in Brisbane, the winner of Poland against Switzerland will qualify for the city final. Have Poland won that tie with Świątek beating Bencic there? No, I think that's a, I think that's the first match. That's... I think that's one only 1-0. One right. Okay, so lots more to be played there. So the winner of Poland against Switzerland will qualify for the city final. Italy currently lead Norway 2-0, so they need just one win tomorrow to qualify. If Norway come back to win the 3-2, then Brazil <laughs> will qualify. <laughs> Not Italy. There we go. Uh, so um, what happens from then on? The three winners of the city finals qualify for the semi-finals, and they'll be joined by the runner-up with the best overall record in the event. Don't quite know how that's going to feel. It's sort of that. I think that's going to be a suck it and see thing. Whether it feels 
really uh, not quite right. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, we'll let you know. We'll let you know how that feels, the whole sort of runner-up getting through to the final thing. Um, other tennis has been happening. Uh, we've got Venus Williams playing in Auckland. Matt has simply written Venus, exclamation mark, in the agenda. She won. Hey. Yay. Who did she beat? She beat Katie Volleynets, which is one of one oh, of yes. the great names. Um, seven six six two, and and the wildcard haters are very quiet right now. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> How many did you get, Matt? After you invited people to at you? Do you know I actually didn't get any. <laughs> the threat was too big, and. <laughs> And what I would say is actually I don't think uh, whether Venus deserves a wild card or not hinges on, on this result. But that is the case that those people would have made. You know, she's not going to win any matches, mm. blah de blah blah I don't think that matters. She deserves one. End of story. But it was still just great to see her winning. They had to stop in the first set tie break because of rain. There was a sudden downpour. Uh, and Venus just came out from that break playing incredibly well. She she uh, took over that tie break, uh, won a really long rally up at the net, huge forehand down the line, won the won the tie break, raced through the the second set to be five love up, had a bit of a wobble but served it out at the second attempt, and honestly looked really good. The ground strokes were great, and um, she has now won a singles match on the WTA tour every year. Since 1994, bar one year, and that one year was last year where she didn't manage to um, to win one. But she did get a mixed doubles win last year, which means she has a pro win every year since 1994, from a 14-year-old to a 42-year-old. It is oh extraordinary. And that's not Matt Stat. I'm going to have to find another one, aren't I? Because I've given it away. <laughs> he couldn't hold it in. It it's, was going to be. It's very uplifting to see. It really is. Um, yeah, that's that's a great story. Um, speaking of you love to see it, Bianca Andrescu coming back from 6-love, 5-2 down to beat Garbina Muguruza in Adelaide, 6-1 uh, in the third. I mean, obviously, that's a, a horrible result for Muguruza, whose career remains inexplicable to me um but andrescu um i i like the sound of the quotes coming out of the bianca andrescu camp she's uh you, you she's, always do i know I know. tell me what quotes what quotes absolute sucker for it it's a very tim hemman united cup energy david <laughs> oh great uh, there's um a piece uh about her with quotes from her uh, by reem abelil on the wta website uh, she's got this new team behind her, obviously, and uh, she has said, uh, and uh, when asked about her goals for 2023, another Grand Slam would be nice, another 1,000, staying healthy, playing the whole year, basically, and then cracking the top 10 again, because I do believe that I'm at that level. Excellent. Excellent. Those yes. are excellent quotes. Another Grand yes. Slam would be nice. It would be nice to be able to say that, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I must say, uh, also- I must say, for Muguruza, you know, this idea of new year, new beginning, all of that kind of thing—that is a—that is a rough loss because that's exactly mm. the sort of loss she had repeatedly last year. Six love, five two up, not winning—that's really, really tough for her. And I, I know Andrescu raised her level and was 
in the in the tiebreak in particular came up with just came up with the goods but you've got to close that out and it just feels like such a such a familiar story for her she's just mm. lost at the moment she she did raise her level and rescue without question and then took over the match and started you know standing in and just teeing off but but there were gifts from Muguruza without question uh, also in Adelaide Holger Runa Lost his first match of the year to Yoshihito Nishioka. Um, well, he won the first set really easily as well. Mm. That. I didn't know he'd lost. Yeah, I mean, look, Nishioka is your your proverbial tricky, isn't he? I do that. That is a really tricky first match of the year. So I'd, maybe we don't read too much into that. He's got the awkward decision to make now of whether to to play next week because he probably feels like he needs more matches. I imagine that's a shock to the system for Runa. I think. He sort of believes he's going to win every match he's going to play for the rest of time, which is what we like about him. He he has that real belief in himself and he, he brings it, you know, even against Novak Djokovic in the Paris final. He thinks he should be winning that match. Um, but yeah, as you said, losing from a set up, albeit against a tricky opponent, I imagine has has rocked him a little bit and is is just a reminder of what we were sort of talking about a lot at the end of last season that carrying that form into the new year can be can be difficult and that sort of moves us on to Phoenix Auger Aliassime who who suffered the similar fate yeah speaking of which uh Auger Aliassime lost to Alexi Popperin anyone see that no I I caught up on it this morning and this was not the Felix Auger seam that we saw at the end of last year, you know, where in all the big moments he was rock solid, wasn't he? And we thought, okay, there's been there's been a real improvement, but we did say, you know, let's let's get him outdoors again, start of the season, and it wasn't great. There were there were a lot of big unforced errors. Uh Popperin really brought it. I hadn't thought about Alexi Popperin for ages he seems to only exist in australia in my mind and then i realized that he actually did only win five matches on on tour last season he wasn't really anywhere to be seen he was great he brought a lot of energy got the crowd involved has a big game but it wasn't it wasn't good from orgelia seem certainly in comparison to what we saw from him at the end of last season but you know first match of the season and i feel like we wouldn't really judge orgelia seem if he won this event, I don't think we'd be saying that sets him up for the Australian Open. You know, like, he still needs to do it in a slam. That's where the big test is still. So we probably shouldn't read too much into this loss either. Yeah, I should have played United Cup. Well, yeah. Then he'd have got two matches at least. Mm. He, could, he could do with two weeks of rain in Melbourne, couldn't he? And everything played yeah. on the mm. roof. Yeah, Assu- assuming he got... A favourable, favourable court assignments. Although they've got three roofs in uh, Australia, haven't they? So they're uh, they're well kitted out. Uh, Pune is getting underway in India. Marin Cilic and Bertik van der Zanskulp are the top two seeds. Cilic has had a lot of success in Pune in the past, hasn't he? So um, probably favourite uh, there. We will update you on all of that in our next pod, uh, which will be recorded, all being well, uh, from, well, two-thirds of it, from Gatwick Airport on Sunday, en route to Melbourne. We're excited about that. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. David will be in sunny Solihull uh, in packing hell. He is following 24 hours behind myself and Matt. Um, just one other 
bit of news before we wrap things up. Um, back to deportations. <laughs> we can't <laughs> stay away from them. <laughs> Bloody tennis. Um, you might have heard that Boris Becker was uh, released from the British prison where he was serving his sentence uh, shortly before Christmas. He was uh, then deported to Germany uh, in accordance with uh, with British law. Um, since that, he's done a big interview in Germany with Sat1 um, and he was reportedly paid 500,000 euros for that. Um and he's also, it's been announced that um, there's going to be an Apple TV series following him, isn't there? They they were following him for a number of years before being sent to prison. Now, I don't know what the law is in Germany, but in the UK, there are pretty stringent laws, laws about profiting from crime. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure this would be legal here. Um, but I guess, you know, it's bankruptcy was the circumstances in which he committed the crime for which he was sent to jail so we know he's got no money and needs to earn to sustain himself but it all just feels not uh i don't know any any thoughts well uh i certainly take that point i mean i wonder whether this money will certainly the earnings that he was getting before were supposedly going to people he owed money to um but maybe that will be the case here but it was from the details of the interview it sounds like he had a a pretty eye-opening time um in jail and um and yeah, it's uh, it still is incredibly jarring to think of the man that won Wimbledon age 17 having that period of his life in prison, but he did what he did. Um, so um, he's out, he's in Germany. It'll be, it will be interesting to see whether he, he returns to tennis in the future in some way. Yeah, it, it's, it's a pretty... Um... It's a pretty raw and uh, eye-opening account that uh, that he gives in the interview. He said, for the first time in my life, I felt hungry, meaning I went to bed hungry. Uh, he pointed out that he lost seven kilos uh, during his um, seven-month stint in prison. Um, prison was good for my health, he said. They did have alcohol, but I didn't drink any. Alcohol in prison. Okay, <laughs> that's for a different podcast. Um that's it, I think, for this first podcast of the season. Uh, we have a mascot. In fact, do we have two mascots for this episode? I think we do. We have Pushkin and Byron, owned by lovely Laura Vigani, who I know is a massive Rafael Nadal fan. Um, and uh, we like Laura. Laura's been a, a long-standing listener and supporter of the pod. And we like Pushkin and Byron as well. They are... They are my kind of cats. They look very cuddleable. They also look like they've got a good amount of sass, which is my my main criteria for a cat. Um, Laura <laughs> says Pushkin, the champagne-coloured one, there'll be a picture of them in the newsletter, and Byron, the silver-coloured one, are two ragdoll brothers uh, I adopted in 2012 from a rescue place near Birmingham. They are 12 and a half, uh, very important in a Rafa fan household. Don't quite understand that. The half. The half. Oh, the half. half yeah. Of course. Uh, and very affectionate, she says. Uh, they're interesting because sleep, food, and cuddles, and boxes. 
Well, they sound like they've got life figured out, Laura. So uh, thank you for bringing Pushkin and Byron into our lives. Uh, we each have presenter mascots for the year. Uh, but those uh, three people that have signed up uh, to have their pets be presenter mascots are still fighting over us. <laughs> we don't know who we've got yet. Over who they don't get. Yes. <laughs> we don't know who the booby prize is considered to be. But I'm sure we'll find out in due course. So... No presenter mascots yet, but they are. Watch this space, folks. We do have executive producers, three of them, three new ones. Now, we haven't established yet how they would like to be described. So I'll I'll freestyle this one. We've got Drew, who's a a stand-up guy. We've got Jamie, who's a cool dude. And we've got Hannah, who's a lovely, lovely lady. Are we all right with that? I'm fine with it. <laughs> Someone described me as a lovely lady in a WhatsApp the other day and I did actually get a bit annoyed at it. So apologies, <laughs> Hannah. We'll, we'll finesse that. We will finesse that. Uh, we have Billie Jean, who is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. And we have our first shout-outs, Matt, of 2023. We have Laura Slattery. Right, Laura. Hello, Laura. We know Laura, don't we? Yes. She says she's been a tennis fan since the Chrissy-Martina rivalry years and she really wants ah. Ons Jabir to win a slam in 2023. Me Laura's too, Laura. Laura's got it Laura. all worked out. Uh, Me that's, too. Those good credentials, good hopes for the future. Laura, you know what you're doing. Absolutely. We've got Amy Greer in Colorado. Right, Amy. Hello, Amy. Got a Any good friend Amy's? from Colorado. Oh, yeah. Mm, Who's that? From from Denver, but she lives oh. in New York. Sarah. Marvellous. We of like course. Sarah. You know yes. Sarah. Matt's been to a Harry Styles concert with Sarah. Sarah's and, great. Uh, ten, tennis Amy's, Amy Frazier. Any any others that I'm oh, missing? Well done. Uh, uh, um... <laughs> no, Amy Frazier it is. Mm. We only need one. Okay. We only need <laughs> Why one. Why make that and game harder Amy... for ourselves? Amy, the friend of the tennis podcast, so we're we're fine. We have Sarah Lewis, who is in Kent, and Sarah says that she's delighted to share her birthday with Matt, me. Hey, good on you, Sarah. How do you feel about people who you've never met knowing your birthday, Matt? (laughs) Bit weird, but I suppose that's, you know, we've only got ourselves to blame for that. The price of fame. Indeed. (laughs) He's... He's delighted, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah says it's way better than sharing a birthday with David Beckham and Alan Titchmarsh. I agree, Sarah. I thought she was going to say David do Law. Be- do you share a back David? Uh... Oh, yes, me. I do. The do answer to that question birthday? is yes. <laughs> right, yeah, great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. We've also got Chelsea Giller in Boston, Massachusetts. All right, Chelsea. Like- Chelsea Football Club, supported fervently by Dominic Team. Mm. You see what I've done I there? I forgot that he supported mm. Chelsea. Yes, I remember him turning up to Queens for his one and only year of playing there, and all he could talk about was Chelsea. Yeah, he's been to the training ground. You get it, like he's seriously into mm. it. Um, Not even the top team in Southwest London at the moment. I set him up there, didn't I, David? Uh, <laughs> Chelsea, you are better than Chelsea Football Club. It's a low Absolutely. bar, but you're clearing yeah. it. <laughs> Comfortably. 
should say we've managed to do a um, we've managed to do a whole podcast nearly before I'm doing this now on on the day West Brom play Reading without bringing it up. I've I've, mm. I've been a bit tense. Dave, the you're going, time. aren't you, David? Yeah, I'll be there in an hour's time, um, and uh, we'll see if we're still talking tomorrow. Uh, podcast production might be at stake here. First pot of the year, <laughs> last pot of the year. No, Venus Williams voice, wishing him luck. <laughs> <laughs> and our final shout out is Chris Kumara in Menlo Ooh. Park, California. Right, Chris. That sounds like a nice place to be, doesn't it? Chris says he's a lifelong tennis player born the same year as David. Hey! Oh, I love that. Brilliant. Has he got grey hair like me? <laughs> we it. don't know. But anyway, <laughs> thank you very much, Chris. All sorts of... Christopher O'Connell, the Australian sensation of 2022. That's right. <laughs> very good. Chris Lewis. We're, and we've yeah. had a Sarah Lewis. So we, we're covering all bases with Chris Lewis. Oh, it's all come full circle. Um, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, we will be back, as aforementioned, en route to Australia in a week's time. If it's not evident already, we are pumped for the 2023 tennis season. We hope you feel the same. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon. 